0: Hey, thank you so much for joining us online at Venue Church for another inspirational message from Pastor Corey Go. If you were impacted by this message in any way, we would love it if you would share it with your friends online. Yeah, real boats rock. Welcome to Venue Airdrie. If it's your first time, I'm Pastor Corey. I'm a little out of control most of the time. How we doing? How we doing? Turn, <laughs> Yeah, I'm back in the saddle preaching. I'm super glad to be here. Uh, I missed you guys. I've seen you, but I haven't like been able to preach and, and spend that kind of time with you, so that's good. Hey, turn to somebody beside you and say, you look good today, man. You've been working out? No, oh, come on. I know you haven't been working out because it's summertime, but it's okay. Lie a little if you got to encourage somebody. <laughs> Welcome to our, our sermon series on the Enneagram. The Enneagram is just nine kind of motivations that motivate people. It's different than personality types. Um, I'm going to be showing you three different types of people today in the scriptures, um, and the Enneagram, it should be noted, is just like a tool. It's been around forever. It's just a tool. Uh, it's not the truth. The word of God is true. God himself is true. There's absolute truth. A uh, Shocker. Um, but God himself is true, but this is a tool so that we can get some truth into us. When we align ourselves to truth, we do well, and when we don't, then we don't do well. It kind of makes sense. It's like gravity, right? (laughs) You don't have to understand it to be blessed or hurt by gravity. You just have to align yourself to it. And God is kind of like that. Uh, I'm going to be talking about the gut triad today. That is number eight on the Enneagram. Uh, We've had two sermons already about the Enneagram. We went through the heart one last week. That's awesome. We love emotional people. We love you. Now we're talking about the gut triad, which is eight, the challenger. Nine, uh, the peacemaker. Is, Is Pastor Aaron in the house or is she working... She's teaching us, oh, I can say anything I want. (laughs) I like that. And uh, number one, number one, the perfectionist or the reformer, the challenger. I'm I'm taking most of my material for this sermon out of a book called uh, The Road Back to You by Ian Morgan Cron. So I'm like shamelessly ripping off and stealing this book. So you should get this book and pay your hard-earned dollars to understand more about yourself and understand more about the people around you. But I'm plagiarizing him today. But I gave him credit and he can't sue me. Sue me for what? I'm not sure, but he can't sue me. Um, I was thinking about it this week. I think the worst conversation you had this week, or this month, or whatever it looks like for you, the worst conversation as a pastor that I had, the worst conversations as a dad, or a son, or a boss, or an employee, the worst conversations you have is when the person on the other side of the table is talking, and feeling, and doing, and saying, and thinking stuff, but when they have a misread on their primary motivation for being the way that they are. You ever talk to somebody, bosses, you have employees, they're telling you all of this thing, they're feeling all this, they're saying all this, they did all of that. They think they're doing it from this motivation here, but it's really coming from this place over here, but they don't know. You're talking to your teenager, and your teenager's like, I need more independence, I can be trusted, blah, 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 blah. I'm a teenager. <laughs> and you're like, you're speaking from this place, but I, you're really speaking from this place. Like, you think you're over here, you think that you're, you're we all thought it, guys, we all thought. It. I will also say that teenagers speaking to parents who don't have, here's the deal, here's the deal. How frustrating are you when you have a misread on you? How frustrating are the people around you? Now you have two sides of the conversation, neither of which really know why they think and feel and their main motivators. What is it that is the fuel in your, in your currency, and what is it that makes you think the way that you think? Well, the Enneagram is, is a study on this. Uh, there's this main scripture that, that we're doing. You want to know like, why you exist as a human. This is why my church exists. This is Jesus boiled down the Old and New Testament laws into two verses. We could take all the laws in Canada out if we would get these two verses right. You ready? Let me just simplify for you. Uh, Mark, uh, Mark records Jesus saying these words, And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength, all, every, all, all of it, not a piece of it, not most of it, all. All. If you love God, if you love, love is connection, by the way. If you love, venue church is created to help you connect with God and with people. That's why you're here as a human. You can have a boat. You can have a great car. You can have lots of money. Your fridge can be full of awesome stuff. It won't matter if you don't have connection with God and with the people. It will not matter. It will not fill that gap inside of you. That's it. That's why you're here. <laughs> you must love the Lord your God, Jesus is saying. And then he says this. The second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. No other commandment is greater than these. He's saying, look, there would be no point in laws if you would love your neighbor as yourself. The trouble is, can can I just be honest? The trouble is, we love our neighbor as poorly as we love ourselves. Yeah, come on now. We love our neighbors. This is how we do it. You help me preach a little bit here. You're not heckling me. I like it. I like it. We're on the same team. Pull this message, this sermon out of me, because God's going to change your life with it. You don't love yourself the way that God intended you to love yourself. Some of you are in love with yourself, which is creepy. (laughs) Duck face selfies in the bathroom mirror. Don't you three who did that mirror thing last time I said that send me another photo. In love with yourself is not loving yourself the way that God intended. What if you have a complete misread on you? You spend your whole life wishing you were not you. And not working on you. Not working on you to be the best that God wants you to be. We have uh, three types coming up. And the first one is the challenger. You might have a challenger in your home. They might be two, and they think they're in charge. And if they're a challenger, they might be. You know somebody at work who is a challenger, who is a number eight in the Enneagram. You know somebody. If you don't know how they think, you'll never be able to love them and connect with them the way that you could. Now, neither will the people around you. If Okay, the challenger. In all of these, we see something of an attribute of God that we don't see as much of in the other Enneagram types. And the challenger, what we see in them is the power of God. There is no more powerful Enneagram type than the challenger. I... I, I'm a challenger. See, um, when Pastor Lana was here from San Antonio the last couple of weeks, I, I thought I was a three because I like to win, and then my mom and my wife, in studying the anagram, told me that I was an eight, and when your mom and your wife tell you something, you something. So just shut up and be like, I'm an eight, I'm something. And so I asked my mom, give me an example of what it was like when I was a kid, or an example of this whole challenging sort of aspect, this, this person that a challenger fills a room, man. You can tell when a challenger walks into the room. Um, challengers and peacemakers and, and number one, the perfectionists, we make decisions from right here. So yeah, we can think and we can feel, but we make decisions right here. And a challenger makes fast decisions. I have people around, I have a whole team of people. They don't know it's their job, but they slow my decision-making down a little bit because I'm ready to go. And then they say things like, super irritating things like, have you thought about this? And I'll be like, I, I think that we should make a better decision No, 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 I need that in my life though Because I make fast decisions and I make them right from here um, here's, here's, here's what my mom told me She sent me a text, she gave me some examples I'm just going to pick this one here Because I think it kind of best uh, describes it In grade 10, I went to a Christian school Now I went to kind of like an old school Christian school Like venue church is not like and I got nothing against it, we're just not an old school church Your grandma's welcome, but it's not your grandma's church. And so um, in old school Christian church, you know, uh, she overheard me in an argument as a grade 10 kid uh, with the principal in the hallway outside of her classroom. My mom used to teach, and so she was subbing that day, and she overheard me in an argument with the principal about something called the doctrine of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Have you ever heard about this? The doctrine of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. If there's been a misread on anything in Christianity, it's been that. Uh, We are going to... This is exciting, and I should just tell you right now. uh, Beginning in September, the first Wednesday of every month, we're going to do like a worship ministry night. Like, that's what we're going to do. And so the first one we're going to do is on the baptism of the Holy Spirit. What I found that he was teaching the classroom... You want to learn what a challenger is like? I found that it didn't line up with Scripture. He was wrapping his experience. This is why some of you have a misread on church or have problems with the church. He was wrapping the scriptures around his experience. Now the other way around. He was changing them to suit what he was. Now, that's just like taking the target and moving it to wherever your arrows are flying. And in grade 10, I'm like, that's not the truth, though. The challengers, we speak the truth. We're not afraid of you. Speak, you're not speaking what's true, though. I can see this, and I can see this discrepancy here, and something just got on me. And so this is what my mom said to me. She said, I'm subbing at school, and I overheard you arguing with the principal about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I was angry, of course. Oh, She's a good mom. I was angry, of course, and wanted to intervene. But as I listened, she said, I realized, here, if you have an eight in your house, if you're married to an aide, I realized you were more than holding your own. Somebody like two or three times my age. She said you were expressing your convictions confidently and even calmly, probably for the first time ever, and you wouldn't back down. You had the upper hand in that discussion in attitude, doctrine, and the way you made your case. I was proud of you. Oh, mom. My mom loved me. I don't care if you love me. What it's like to be me. What it's like to be the challenger that is your boss at work. Here's what it's like. I've been told I'm too blunt or aggressive, like every day of my life. Canadian culture was not set up for eight, number eight children, everybody. (laughs) I could say a whole lot. I'm not going to, because I'll be too blunt or too aggressive. (laughs) Doing things halfway is not my spiritual gift. Man, it's all or nothing. Get in or get out. Here's the, here's the quote from a challenger Lead me, follow me, or get out of the way. Like, make up your mind. What do you want to do? I enjoy a good verbal skirmish just to see what others are made of. All the peacemakers are just shriveling into themselves right now. Like, oh my goodness. Listen, guys, if you have an eight who's a child in your home or you work with an eight, conflict is connection. and not personal. Edwards just got the, where's Edwards? He just had the nerve of getting like a nicer electric guitar than I have. I'm not jealous. Why? Because every time I see him, I'm just like, that piece of garbage that you're playing now is just a piece of garbage. It's not a Paul Reed Smith. It's okay. I'm glad you got something. I'm glad you're happy with it. And because he and eight, he just looks over and smiles. I can't remember what he said the other day. He's like, you're sure talking about this a lot if your guitar is so great. <laughs> Conflict is connection, everybody, to an eight. I stay in the fight until things are worked out. Now, look, guys, an eight, married to a nine, married to a peacemaker. We'd be in the middle of an argument in our marriage and Aaron would roll over and fall asleep. In mid-sentence. Like a fainting goat. She gone. Like... Where you go? Hello? Man, I, we, we'll stay in the fight until it's done, man. We, we're not quitters. It's hard for me to trust people, though. Justice is worth fighting for. Here's one. I could sniff out your weakness the first time I meet you. Challengers, it, they're challenging to be around, right? But now, a healthy challenger doesn't do that to make you pay or suffer for it. A, health, a healthy challenger does that to help you avoid your weakness and to help you pick up the slack and we can be gifts of God in your life, but we have to know where the weak points are so that we know how to help you get better, and what a gift of God that is for somebody to be able to be like, no, I don't think that's a real problem. I think this is a real problem. Uh, I welcome opposition. Bring it. I like a good competition. Saying no is not a problem to me. I had Somebody asked me to do something. My boss's wife asked me to do something one time. It was really weird, and I'm just like, I would rather not. If I told you what it was, you would also rather not. But some of you wouldn't because you're peacemakers, and you just say yes to whoever's right in front of you. Like, yes, please, I, don't, I want you to like me. My challengers don't really care. Oh, guys, come on, help me out here a little bit. I'm just telling you what it's like to be me. I don't like it when people beat around the bush. Uh, my motto, <laughs> your kid's motto, is a good offense is better than a good defense. I'm a garbage chess player because games take longer than Three minutes. And I will just sacrifice every pawn just to take one shot at that king and I don't have any more time. <laughs> Let's just do it. Bah, 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 bah. Garbage. But don't mess with the people in eight loves, everybody. It will be hellfire and brimstone, man. Do not mess with somebody that I love. You can take shots at me. Eights don't really care, but I know I'm respected, but sometimes I want to be loved. Under my tough exterior is a tender, loving heart. When an eight is healthy... Uh, eights make great friends, exceptional leaders, champions of justice. They're intelligent. They're courageous. They can do the impossible. Um, And this is my favorite part of the eight, uh, and I had to write this down. If you Maybe the only number in the Enneagram able and willing to take down a crazy dictator. Like if an eight senses injustice in the world and victims are being hurt, man, I cannot watch like movies about genocide. I get so angry. I'm like, Aaron, I'm on a plane to wherever this movie is taking place and I'm going to buy a bunch of guns and destroy that dictator. Take the kids to mom's. I love you. I might not make it home. But when we're only average, see, here's here's, you You can be healthy, you can be average, you can be unhealthy in different areas of your life and your Enneagram type. When we're only average, we tend to be steamrollers more than diplomats. Story of my childhood. Sorry, mom. Also, we tend to be dualistic thinkers, which means like you're either good or bad. Your idea is either awesome or it sucks. Like there's just nothing in the middle. Whereas most of life is kind of lived in the middle. Other other Enneagram types would be better at that. When we're unhealthy, listen now, we'll be preoccupied with the idea of being betrayed. There's a betrayal in our childhood that kind of forms it. See, the Enneagram is about what forms you from a childhood to the way that you are right now. And so in some form or, or other, there's some sort of betrayal, and we're, we're scared to death of that one when, when we're unhealthy. They can uh, actually, have you ever heard of a reality distortion? An eight has such a strong persona about them. They, like a healthy eight can change the future. An unhealthy eight thinks that they can actually change what already happened. Like what is happening right now in your home? You're just like, nope. But your wife is like, but it's happening. It's happened. We have to deal with reality. An unhealthy eight thinks that they can actually just shift and change that. Uh, You want to keep an an unhealthy uh, eight away from kids. (laughs) You're allowed to laugh. It's okay. You're not going to hurt my feelings, like real. You're not going to find an unhealthy eight working in a daycare. I hope not. Not where you want your kids. It's like, Johnny, I told you that if you bit somebody again, I was going to bite you. I was going to let the kids bite you so you could figure out how it feels like, Johnny. This is on you. This is on you. You wanted this to happen, Johnny. This is up to you. I guess you got what you wanted. It's good for AIDS to not uh, be unhealthy. That was like a joke, by the way. Online audience, please don't send me emails. and I love you, but that's what happens to an unhealthy AIDS. Um, unhealthy AIDS don't come with dimmer switches. Like, we're on or we're off. We overwork, we over-party, we overeat. we over, we over, we over. If it's got the word over in it, I'm in. Um, if one is good, one vitamin is good, 10 is better. Like, a researcher of five will be like, there's 147 reasons why the sky is blue. And I'll be like, I wish it was bluer. Or bluest, is that a thing? Can it be the bluest sky of all time? Like, And the core sin... Of an eight is a lust, but not in the classic sense—a lust for intensity. We get bored. Like, just turn up the volume, turn up the flavor, just turn it all up. You know, I just—it's just a lust for intensity. If you have a child, you just like—it's just like it has to be intense, it has to be meaningful, it has to small talk with an eight. Uh, how's the weather? I don't know. How's the weather? Like, who cares? Um, it's just like, all right. The dominant emotion is anger. The dominant emotion. Of the entire gut triad, peacemakers. Oh, oh! I'm coming to you. Is anger? It's externalized anger. It's like fire aim ready. We'll let God sort it out. But um. I should note too, I wrote this down here. I think it's important for somebody to hear. Uh, eights are not characteristically bullies because um, bullies in school are just bullies in the workplace. They tend to operate out of compensating for their fear, whereas eights aren't afraid of you. <laughs> okay, bring it. you know that's and so if you would understand that, Uh, that would probably help you in your workplace as well. But see, here's where the eights come from in their childhood. Their childhood, it was common in eights that they were forced to abandon their childhood innocence really, really early to protect themselves or to protect somebody that they love. That's why they're so competent. That's why they're so strong. They had to be. They had to be to survive or for their brothers or sisters or somebody that they love to make it which is also the story of my life. I grew up in an amazing home, but there was something else that happened to me that is like traumatic events. Something happens that, that brings this other thing out of them and we just had to do something to survive. And so if you understand that about an eight, you would understand, you'd have a little more mercy, I think, uh, for an eight sometimes. Can I hear an amen? amen. <laughs> we know we're respected, but we would just like to be loved sometimes. Like It wasn't easy. What we went through wasn't easy. Here's, here's a, a weaknesses of the eight. If you lead an eight, if you lead an eight, you got an eight in your division, you got an eight in your home. If you lead an eight, know what the heck you're talking about. Have some gumption. Stand up for yourself. If we get there and the boss gets in there 10 minutes late and they're like, oh, I don't know what to do today. I don't know. The eights are like, I'll do it. They will challenge you, but not because they necessarily want to be in charge. They just want to make sure that whoever's in charge is ready to go. And so, have some gumption. Stand up to them, but make sure that you're prepared and you're confident in who you are, and make sure you're confident in a decision. We're not looking for perfection. We're not perfectionists, but have some gumption with an eight. They just want to make sure that you are confident and strong, and that you can be followed. How to love an eight? Notice me when I'm tender. It's not easy. How to love an eight? Never just when you talk to me, tell me the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. So help you, God in heaven. Do not tell an eight a lie. We can sniff it out. It drives us crazy. If you've made a mistake in your division or in your home, lead with the truth with an eight. They're strong. They can handle it. They just start with the truth. Don't start 20 minutes out in the world's longest conversation to get you to the place where you have to admit that you screwed up. They don't care that you screwed up. They just want you to tell them the truth. I screwed up. Here's what I'm going to do to fix it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But but truth matters to an eight. Like Nothing else matters as much to an eight as just tell me the truth. Don't coddle me. Don't be nice to me. Just tell me the truth. Like I just want that is my current. I need to know that you you love me enough to tell me the truth. Listen, if somebody lies to you, they don't love you. Oh, I was just trying to be easy on their feelings. No, you weren't, you lied to them. I was doing something that the devil does, loving somebody. It is not. No, no. no. Just tell it, tell oh, that was good preaching. Oh, Pastor Core. Shoot. Second Samuel chapter 12. Then Nathan says to David, David, the king of Israel, has committed murder, and he's committed adultery, but he committed murder with one of his best guys to cover up the sin of adultery, and then he takes Bathsheba into his home. But he's got a friend named Nathan. Nathan tells David a story. David freaks out, and then Nathan's like, yeah, but I tricked you. The story was about you. And Nathan... Probably an eight on the Enneagram. Nathan, this is old country kings, man. This is Old Testament kings. If you come into the king and you say something like this, you took your life in your hands. You were probably going to die. Nobody talked to kings like this. Nathan says to David, you're that man. I'm not afraid of you. God gave me a message to tell you. The Lord, the God of Israel says, I anointed you king of Israel and saved you from the power of Saul. Why then, in verse 9, have you despised the word of the Lord and done this horrible deed? You have murdered Uriah the Hittite with the sword of the Ammonite and stolen his wife. Then David, in verse 13, confessed to Nathan. Look, you can confess to God for forgiveness, but if you have not confessed to somebody, you can't be healed. You can't get better. You can't move forward. This is what God says. Confess your sins and confess your sins to people. He had not done this yet, and it took somebody who was like an eight to come up and be like you. You're hiding it. Did you know the consequences for the entire nation if David gets away with this sin? We're talking about wholesale destruction happening here. And Nathan intervenes because he's not afraid, because he takes his life in his hands. Nathan replied, yes, but the Lord has forgiven you. You won't die for this sin. Nevertheless, he still has to speak the truth. Because you have shown the utter contempt for the word of the Lord by doing this, your child will die. And then it says Nathan returned home. Went and made himself a sandwich. Oh, that went well. And he went home. He spoke the truth. He risked his life. And then he went home. This is the raw courage of the eights. You need to appreciate the challengers in your life who will tell you the truth of God, who will tell you the truth about you so that you can get better, so you don't go on and destroy your life. Let's talk about the peacemakers. Are we going to have peacemakers in Canada? Nines on the Enneagram, we've got some people, like nines on the Enneagram, they're the peacemakers. We see the peace of God in them. They're just lovely people. They're the sweethearts of the Enneagram. I think of like the Amy Fairs. Like nobody hates Amy. You hate Amy? We'll throw you out. We'll put you in a dumpster if you say... Nobody says that they hate nines on the anagram, the peacemakers, the mediators. My wife, Erin, is a nine. We thought she was a two, but she's a nine after doing the research. And uh, Who else is a nine here? I think it's Crystal. We've got some nines in the house. Nobody hates Crystal Canfield. I mean, they hate Quinn. <laughs> i I just had to say that. Quinn, I love you. People hate me, but they don't hate my wife, man. Everybody loves Erin. They show the peace. Of God. What it's like to be a peacemaker. You're gonna find out something about this personality type that will shock you and change how you deal with them. And if you're a peacemaker, it will give you incredible insight that you've never had into yourself before. What is it's like to be me? I'll do almost anything to avoid conflict. Yeah. Even this feels harsh. <laughs> I'm not a self-starter if I'm a nine. Sometimes I get lost in doing trivial tasks, while things that really need to get done get put off. I'm happy to go along with what others want. took me like years in our marriage just to be like, where do you want to eat? I don't care. I don't care. I don't care. I'm going to finally be like, okay, we're going to go eat here. There's not really the way to handle a peacemaker, though. Uh, I procrastinate. People seem to want me to be more decisive. I don't know why they say people seem to want me to. No, no, we tell you like 50 times a day, just make up your mind. (laughs) Just (laughs) tell me what you want to do, please. When I get distracted, though, from my task, I give my attention to whatever is right in front of me. Others see me as more peaceful than I really am. If you're nine or you're a peacemaker on the Enneagram, you're like a duck. Like, you look calm on the surface, but underneath, man, you're (laughs) panicking and paddling away. (laughs) Here's the thing about a peacemaker. You need to know if you have a peacemaker child, they don't think of themselves as important. They don't think that what they have to say is as important as what you have to say or what is as important as anybody has to say. They think that they're not worth as much as you. What? To an eighth? that's like, what? How is that a... I'm learning this about my own wife. Like, how is that a thing? You don't think you're important? Of course I think I'm important. But they don't. They just... You'll see from their childhood. Uh, nines. I'm quietly stubborn when people put demands on me. <laughs> Here's one. It would be selfish to spend a whole day doing what I want. All the rest of us are like, that's what we do every day. <laughs> well, that's how they think. If I'm healthy and I'm a, a nine, I'm a mediator. I'm, I'm unselfish. I'm flexible. I'm inclusive. I can see and value others' perspectives. In fact, they say that the nines can actually see from every other Enneagram's point of view better than they can see from their own. But that's the reality that they live in. When they're only in an average place, though, they come across as sweet and easygoing, but are stubborn and out of touch with their anger. Remember now, anger is their main motivator. To a peacemaker, mm-hmm. but if you ask a peacemaker, why are you angry? the answer you will get every single time, because they want to avoid conflict is: I'm not angry. I'm not angry. Well, yeah, you are. Your eyes are all crazy. <laughs> I'm, I'm not angry. I'm not angry. And then they get mad because you think they're angry but they're still not angry, even when they're mad at you for saying that they're angry. When they're obviously angry. Can you see? Did anybody in my childhood have to guess when Corey was angry? (laughs) Oh, I demanded discipline. When they're unhealthy, they have trouble making decisions and become overly dependent. They struggle to maintain the illusion that all is well and alternate between accepting whatever, like, okay, fine, just do whatever, and we'll just go with it, to open hostility. So they start living this life here because they're trying to maintain the illusion that everything is well. But how many people know that that's not peace? Peace is not the absence of conflict. No, there's a peace of God, a rightness with God, a rightness with people, connection with people you have to fight for. The, the trouble with the nines is that to, to get connected with God, like they have this thing that they could actually become one with God, but to get next to God and to become one with God more than any other personality type, then they, they actually assume God's persona and pursue, you know, like assume how he is and how he thinks and how he feels. But the trouble is they also do that with other people. And they do this really weird thing called, what happens is if they're with strong people or whatever, they can actually start assuming that other person's persona and they self-forget. Get this, get this. If you don't hear anything else today. As they pick up the traits of this other person, this other person's emotions start becoming their emotions. Their thoughts, their words, their actions. Here's the other thing. Here's the other thing. When they're in a healthy place, they can actually merge with the Holy Spirit. And understand God like nobody else can. But there's another spirit out there called the devil. And when they get locked into sin, they can actually so pick this other thing up that they start feeling and thinking and and representing this thing and they self-forget and they listen. They self-erase. They erase who God made them to be because now they're this other thing. And nines need our help to find out their voice, to find out who God wanted them to be, to help unhook this other thing, to help. No, no, no. Let's talk about who God made you to be. You need to stand up. Your voice matters. You are important. You are as as important as any son or daughter of the living God. Come on now. You are as important as any son. We're going to help you find you, and you're not going to erase who you are anymore. The uh, Fascinating, eh? The core sin of the, the nine. All right, I said that to encourage you. Your core sin is sloth, laziness. You get so far behind in your work sometimes, and what happens is your priorities, somebody has to help you stay on track with your priorities. They have to give you lists. That's how you help a nine. Give them a list and check in on them, because they will, when they start getting behind, they'll start just doing random, odd things that have nothing to do with their day. Uh, I talked to somebody married to a nine, they're like, they just pick up a pair of shoes and on their way to put them away, they see something else and they put the shoes down and they pick that thing up. And on their way to put that away, they put it down and then they pick up and their lives are full of half-eaten apples and jobs. And what happens is they start getting so far behind because they lack the self-discipline because the core sin is sloth, lazy. Now, eights have all the energy in the world, nines don't. They need more sleep, they but they have to work on disciplining themselves because what, what happens is they get distracted by whatever's right in front of them. I read this thing where, where uh, the nines a nine said I was I could have a meaningful conversation with my dad, and then she says this, and I told Aaron this, I'm like, oh man, we could be out on our front porch having a meaningful conversation, and if a horse r- rode by, you would get on the horse and ride away. <laughs> oh, something shiny. Dun, dun, dun. Where'd you go? It's kind of funny. What happens is they they get so disconnected from passion and the drive necessary to live your one wild and precious life. They actually disconnect from the good holy fire, the good holy anger that gets you upset with the status quo because it upsets their uh, inner equilibrium, which is so important to them. But the only way to get next to God and people and connect is to get into the mess and upset that inner equilibrium and get into conflict and start connecting with people and you, they lose track of that good holy fire that actually moves people to get better. That moves people to get tired of their certain situation, get sick and tired of their teenager doing this and actually get up and do something about it. But they get in touch with this other anger that they've had since childhood, but they're so unaware that it's even there because they can hang out with other people that are outwardly angry. See, a perfectionist internalizes anger, an eight externalizes anger, and a nine does both. They are fighting a war inside and outside, everybody, with anger. And they spend their entire lives trying to hide it, and it's exhausting. If I just hide it, but I'll tell you what, when it bleeds out, then you gotta deal with an angry kid. But if they're a peacemaker, they go underground for 20 years. You don't know that they were upset by that thing, you can't actually deal with an issue because they won't tell you the issue. And it's all hakuna matata. Simba, the jackals are in the pride land. Your Uncle Scar. Nobody watched The Lion King here? Y'all live in a bubble? We watched The Lion King when we were in Mexico on vacation. It's like, Simba, you're a lion and you're eating grubs. And it's hakuna matata, man. Just like the Titanic is sinking. Just turn the orchestra up. That can be the life of a peacemaker, man. Get into the pride land. This is your responsibility. This is your family. This is your job. This is your life. Live it. Get in there. Get some holy angry fire and do something about it. Push scar off a cliff, man. It's time. Sometimes you'll see a nine staring into space uh, like they're in some creepy trance. And they are. It's called their inner sanctum, and it's not a good place to be, nines. I used to see Aaron staring off into space sometimes, and I'd be like, Hello? Are you, like, five years old and back on the farm with a bunch of cats? Like, I... Aw. Kitty. They create this space that they actually go into that has no conflict in it. And this space starts to take over their lives. And it's not good because they they disengage from their lives. They disengage from conflict. They'll feel a conflict that happens Monday morning, about Tuesday night or Wednesday morning sometime. And, and their sin, their course sin is passive aggressiveness, which means come Tuesday night, like you have to engage in your life in the moment. But come Tuesday night when the other person thinks that it's done and over with Tuesday night, you know, they're like, I gotta be someplace in 15 minutes. Did you get that thing for me? And the passive aggressive nine says, Oh, I forgot. Oh no, you didn't. The anger starts coming out late but it's hard to connect with the original incident because they won't tell you that they're upset about something. What you need to do is start getting in touch with your life, and we're going to help you do that. They secretly want you to figure out why they're upset and fix themselves without having to do anything themselves. That came out of the book. Get mad. I know you're mad. At the author of The Road Back to You. They want you to figure out why they're upset and fix it without them having to know or do anything about it. Nobody signed up for that. We didn't. It's up to you. We're taking responsibility for us. Now it's time for you to take responsibility for you. Here's their childhood. Often, you were just abandoned. Like, I would rather be hurt than abandoned. You were just forgotten. Nobody picked you up from school. Your dad didn't care. He left. They were forgotten. That's why they think that they don't matter. There were other stronger personality types that just took over. And you thought that you didn't matter. Tell a peacemaker today that you matter. Your voice matters. We love you. Speak up. We're going to sit here until you do. Don't go into the the creepy cat trance. (laughs) We're going to wait you out. Genesis 18. So the Lord told Abraham, I've heard a great outcry from Sodom and Gomorrah because their sin is so flagrant. I'm going to go down to see if their actions are as wicked as I have heard. If not, I want to know. They had just attempted something incredibly sinful and incredibly wicked. Now listen, God is not holy if he's not just. The cries of the innocent come up to God. You can't be holy without being just. And he's like, okay, this this has got to go down now. He said, I'm going to go down and see if they're as wicked as I've heard. If not, I want to know. Then it says, Abraham approached him. Abraham might have been a peacemaker. Listen. And said, will you sweep away both the righteous and the wicked? He's so in tune with God. Watch what kind of boldness he comes with. Suppose you find 50 people, righteous people, living there in the city. Will you sweep it away and not spare it for their sakes? Surely you wouldn't do such a thing, destroying the righteous along with the wicked. Well, you'd be treating the righteous and the wicked exactly the same. Surely you wouldn't do that. Should not the judge of all the earth do what is right? That's a nine who's healthy. That's a nine who can go after God and mediate between God and people. Because God does justly, but he loves mercy. And he talks God down from 50 righteous to 10 and God still had to destroy the city because underneath it all, God has to be just. But look what can happen when a peacemaker is healthy. Last one I'm going to preach about today, this one won't take as much time because it's the perfectionist. It's number one. It's like my daughter Eilish. There's not much to say about them because <laughs> they don't screw a lot of stuff up. Ailish, um, as soon as I gave her in the church, as soon as I gave her like the service orders to do, wouldn't you know it? They started getting done on time. And who was doing it before? I was. Sometimes they get done, sometimes they were right, sometimes they were wrong. But Ailish, as soon as she took that over, everything gets done right. Every single time. If they say they're gonna do it, they're gonna do it. What is like to be a perfectionist? People can tell me, tell me I can be overly critical and judgmental. I beat myself up when I make mistakes. There's too much to do to relax. Come on, we got any perfectionists in the house. I don't like it when people break the rules. I mean, she'd be in her classroom and if somebody else broke the rule, she'd just start getting all tense. When somebody else breaks the rule on me, I'm like, yes. They didn't find out the thing that I did. They distracted. They have self-discipline, but forgiveness is hard and they worry. They like routine and don't love change. When a perfectionist is healthy, they live a life of service and integrity. They're balanced and responsible. They're able to forgive. Principled but patient. When they're only average, though, they get kind of judgy and they start comparing. And they naturally spot flaws, which is what how God made them. But they're, this voice in their head starts becoming an inner critic and starts speaking to them. And you need to help them write that down sometimes and be like, what is that thing in your head telling you right now? I'm not good enough because I'm not perfect. Listen, if you have to be perfect, the, the finish line keeps moving. You need to be able to help a perfectionist by celebrating little wins with him. Be like, it's okay. Oh my goodness, you did this better than I would ever do this. You know, start celebrating, create little finish lines for them and help them and, and take away this inner critic and be like, you're not, you're not good till you're perfect. There's a difference between being good and perfect. Jesus can make you good, but perfect? He's the only one who's perfect. Relax, perfections. When they're unhealthy, they fixate on small perfections and they tend to micromanage. Even though they're doing the work of two, they tend to pass jobs off. That's hard for them to do. Their core sin is resentment. Imagine what it would be like to be a perfectionist and wake up every morning with so many toilet paper rolls that need to be fixed in the world. So many idiots squeezing the toothpaste from wherever because they haven't thought about it. So many wrongs to be made right, and they secretly think that they're going to get yelled at if it goes wrong on their watch. Their, their childhoods are, are, they like order. They, they like control. They want to make sure that they have a schedule. You know, you want to structure the life of a, of a perfectionist, but don't ever correct a perfectionist child in front of people if you can help it. Take them aside, explain what went wrong, and then do it in that way. But if you do it in front of people, it's really, really hard for them to get a hold of. Somebody's like, I don't know if I'm a perfectionist. You know if you're a perfectionist. Like, if there's only one way to load your dishwasher. You know what I'm talking about. I don't care. I just put throw the dishes in there. I don't care if they get clean or not. You can just send them through again. If you are the kitchen sheriff, you are a perfectionist. You will unload the dishwasher, give everybody a lecture, and put it back in right. There is one way to do everything, everybody. And it's my way. But they're terrified of making mistakes. This is how they love. And let me end with this here. They, they love... You, they might not be the most affectionate people, but they love you. Do you know how they love you if you have a perfectionist husband? He fixes the roof so it doesn't leak on your house. They pay the bills on time. They make you safe. They make sure that your tires are good on your car and that the lug nuts are all tight so you don't die. Well, I wish they were more affectionate. They are. They're keeping you from not dying. That's how they do it. They take they show us the goodness of God in the care of heaven that keeps all the planets spinning because of the disciplines of God's heart. You think it's all by chance? No, no, no. The discipline of God's heart. They are disciplined. They discipline themselves because they love you that much to do it. We see, though, that the bad side of, of a nine can be the, the prodigal son story where the younger son goes away, lives with a bunch of pigs, because he probably a seven. I'm preaching about the head triad next week. I left the head ones till the last just to mess you all up so you could research all the wrong things about the anagram, and then realize that maybe you actually need to learn something. Woo! How did he know? Gut. I just had a feeling. But the older son is in the field, do you remember? Why is he in the field when the the younger son comes home and the father welcomes him in, throws a party? The older son's in the field working because that's the right thing to do. Everything does what they Everybody does what they want to do, but I do what's right because it's the right thing to do because I'm a perfectionist. But then they tend to kind of lose track of what really mattered in that scenario. They get angry at the father for never throwing them a party, but the father says to them, you have everything now. I'm not giving it back to the prodigal because he's kind of an idiot. But you own everything now. Throw yourself a party, perfectionist. We'll come. We'll eat your hamburgers. We know you've got them. Let me pray for you. Father, I pray for, I pray for every person here to be at peace with who God made us to be, with who you made us to be, that we would quit striving and struggling so much, Heavenly Father, to be something that we're not, that we would start working on our weaknesses, Father, and quit looking at everybody else's and start loving who you made us to be. Lord God, we need, we need the challengers to rise up and tell us the truth. We need to love and protect and and make sure that they know that they're not going to be betrayed. Lord God, we, We need the the peacemakers, Heavenly Father. We are going to help them find themselves in you and never erase themselves again, Lord God. We're going to help them find who they're supposed to be. And Father, we're going to help the perfectionists because we are going to have parties with them. We're going to tell them, like, thank you so much for caring about us with the goodness in your heart because we see God in you. It's time to be at peace with you, God, and that peace is worth fighting for. And I pray that every person will go home today and fight to be at peace with God. Amen.